Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You already know what time it is. Time it is. It's that official time. When we take this worldwide. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up We all up in your area like landscape Definitely bringing you the power slam and pancakes It's the mandate that you tune in It's time to move out so we can move in And recognize that this is no illusion I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion It all started off in the book of Genesis When Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was his nemesis And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him He touched his hip but he really couldn't have devoured him and from that point, then we hear a name change, rearrange the game, so now we gotta change lanes. Uh, so I'm here to let you know it's time to listen to the Pancake and Power Slam show. Let's go! Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam show. Uh. Uh, 11 years old 
and uh, 1977 championship wrestling from Florida. It's funny. I'm on a Facebook uh, Facebook group, I guess, that I joined, and they send out old uh, uh, championship wrestling from Florida clips and shows. And right before I uh, came on, I was watching uh, a clip from 1977. It was. Uh, the Florida Tag Team Champions, Ivan Koloff and Pat Patterson, uh, in a TV match against Rocky Johnson, the Rock's dad, and a guy named Tony Rocca, who was sort of a preliminary wrestler back then. And uh, they did a, in a, it was a um, Rocky Johnson one, and the, the, the enhancement guy, Tony Rocca, was going crazy. And I'm not sure, looking back, if they did that to set up a title match, probably, uh, to try to give a little jolt to this guy. But, um, it was just, I mean, it brought back so many memories. I was 11 years old. Heck, I'm 49 now. So uh, you do the math. But, um, yeah, I got turned on by my cousin to Championship Wrestling from Florida. It was on Saturdays, Channel 6 uh, and UHF 33. And uh, it was on at noons on Saturdays. And it was much wa- must watch uh, every uh, Saturday afternoon for me for, wow, up until like 1984, 1985 when uh, – when Crockett bought him, I think it was actually '87 when Crockett bought him. But um, I was—I really wasn't into anything else back then. Um, you know, watched a little baseball. It was a totally different world. There was six channels, so you know, if 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 uh, Monday Night Baseball was on, and yes, there was a Monday Night Baseball. Uh, you know, and, and another thing is most people didn't have TVs in their – I hate to wax nostalgic, but most people didn't have TVs in every room. So you pretty much watch what your mom and dad wanted you to watch. Yeah. So, uh, but my little gig was wrestling, and uh, you know, some that TV on Saturday afternoons that that was mine. Nice. So CWF fan, that's awesome. So I'm sure that you were uh, very aware and very familiar with uh, the the Texas Outlaws and uh, Murdoch and and Dusty Rhodes. So you well, so was... you so you were familiar with Dusty when he was a heel, right? Oh. No, no, no. He turned in 74, and I started watching 74. Or okay. maybe 75. I started watching in 77. Um, no, he was on fire as a babyface. You know, they had uh, wrestling down in Miami. I lived in Fort Lauderdale. They had wrestling in Miami back then on Wednesdays at the Miami Beach Convention Center. And Dusty would pretty much always headline, you know, those shows because, you know, 5,000 people. But there was a little place called the Fort Lauderdale National Guard Armory. I still remember where it was, but it's not there anymore. Um and uh, it wasn't air conditioning, uh, probably held 800 people packed. And uh, we'd usually get four matches. You know, you see these, these, these shows now, and, you know, you could imagine four matches on a Friday night because the other – I didn't know it at the time, but the other uh, crew went up to Tallahassee. So Tallahassee would get most of the talent. But three or four times a year, Dusty Rhodes would come to Fort Lauderdale, and it legitimately it would sell out before – like as soon as it was announced – that night, you know, you know, that Friday night, if they announced the American Dream Dusty Rose was going to be here next week, boom, intermission, tickets were gone. And uh, wow. so, uh, yeah, he was on fire. And, uh, and you know, it, you know, I hate to talk about Dusty because it's still, it's still crazy, you know, that he's gone and so soon. But, um, you know, he was one of my heroes growing up. And then I got to work with him and for him and, uh, you know, it's still, uh, you know, that one, out of all the deaths that we've had in this crazy business, that one kind of hit me the hardest. But uh, I agree. Was- uh, yeah, I agree. I, w- I would say the same thing because, you know, I was a big Dusty fan as well. I mean, you, of course, I didn't work with him like you did, so I'm sure that there's some, you know, indelible moments that he shared with you. Can you think of anything in particular? 
No, the, the 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 thing that that I think is the coolest probably is he when he was booking WCW he thought and even after he was booking when he still had some influence he wanted to make me a play by play guy. As a matter of fact, I did do play by play. Most people don't know this, but in um, uh, like 2000, no, 1999, not 2000, um, I did the play by play for the international WCW Monday Night Show. They were a week behind. So after we taped the night show, we'd come into the studio on Wednesday, and I would host it as Dave Lawrence with Larry Zabisco. Uh, and uh, the reason I would call myself Dave Lawrence is because I'd be pitching to myself as the ring announcer. So, mm-hmm. so you know, and Dusty thought, you know, the sky's the limit. So, you know, you never know. If, if WCW was still in business, I might be, you know, the play-by-play guy at Monday Night Show. It was, you know, I was green as grass, but to, uh, uh, Larry carried me and, it uh, it was a pretty cool experience. I used to have that stuff on videotape, and uh, you know the million times that I've moved, uh, I, I haven't been able to find it. So if anybody overseas listening has it, uh, I'll buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So how was it working with Larry? Oh, Larry carried me. You know, you hear, you hear about a, a, you know, you hear about like you remember a guy like Eric Watts who was was pushed when oh, he yeah. was really green, and it wasn't his fault. His dad was just trying to do him a favor, and he was really green. But you'd have a guy like Arn Anderson or or even Larry Zbyszko when he was a wrestler, or Michael Hayes or Bobby Eaton that would carry him, you know, to a good match. Well, Larry Zbyszko carried me to be a good, decent, serviceable play-by-play guy on international television. I mean, you know, if if I was in there with somebody who had the same experience I was, we would have, I mean, we would have smelled the place up. It was, but, uh, you know, Larry just, you know, said, follow my lead, even though I was the lead, but follow my lead and let's do this and have some fun. And we sat there, you know, and voice over a two-hour show. It only took about an hour and a half without the commercials, but, you know, and we just have some fun and we'd have a lot of fun with me pitching to myself and Larry would be, you know, insulting me, you know, Oh, that David Penzer, he sucks. He's hard. I don't even know how he has a job. And you know, so we'd have fun with it. It was international. We still did professional job, but um, but yeah, Larry, you know, if for some reason that ever were to come of pass, where say they were looking for another play-by-play guy, and I turned in a tape, and I happened to get that job, which never happened, but a, you know, a what if, you know, I would have had that job based on Larry, not based on me. Wow. Interesting. So was it a matter of jockeying position for, for Shivani, or was he, you know, how was his feeling towards it? Oh, Shivani was my boss. Shivani was the uh, producer of the shows, and mm-hmm. um, he was the one who decided, him and Eric decided, and Craig Leathers, who was the head of the department, decided who did what. So, no, Tony was fine. Tony knew that, you know, not only was he the lead play-by-play guy, but he was the uh, the producer of, of the shows, and uh, so he wasn't going anywhere. Um you know, it, uh, maybe he would have gotten promoted if this thing would have played out where he wasn't on air anymore and he was just like the executive producer. You never know. But, um, no, Tony was Tony was fine. It was it was just, you know, they need, I was signed to be a ring announcer. So, you know, they needed somebody to, to do this. And, you know, and I, I guess I did it, like I said, a serviceable job where I didn't embarrass anybody. So I did it for a couple months. And I don't remember why I stopped. I think it was because um, they just decided to do it a day early and I was still on the road doing Thunder. But um, no, it was it was cool. It was there, you know. It was really, you know. People talk about how crazy it was, and and it was crazy. But um, as far as that went, you know, uh, you know, if there was any nervousness or back, you know, we we all the announcers got along famously. We all some of the best times I ever had was before Monday Night Show in the announcers trailer. 
uh, with Lee Marshall, rest in peace, and Tony, Bobby Heenan, one of the funniest guy in the world, and Mike Tenay, who's actually, I think people are starting to realize now that they see the other side of Mike Tenay on Taz podcasts, and now he has his own podcast. He's one of the funniest guys, too, you know, and Larry, and, and we just sit there, and, and, you know, it was a privilege to be able to sit in that trailer and just hear stories and, and talk, you know, tell jokes, and, you know, some of the coolest times I ever had. So, that, they were, you know, and Mean Gene, you know, talk about, you know, Think about that. You got Larry Zabisco, one of the best storytellers, one of the best interviews in the business uh, back then. Mike Tenay, who has one of the wittiest dry senses of humor. Tony Schiavone, who's a great straight man. Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund, two of the funniest people in the world. Um, Lee Marshall, who you know was so over the top, he actually provided com- comedic relief. You know, God bless him. So it was, it was. We had a great time, and everybody got along. Like I said, and. Um, you know, Mike and 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 Gene and Tony and Larry and uh, uh, Bobby Heenan used to travel together. So there was, there was uh, everybody knew their place. Mike was the specialty guy who knew the lucha libre and the the Japanese wrestling, and Tony was the lead. Larry was the the, the baby face. Uh, uh, Bobby was the heel. Um, Lee was the over the top radio Tony Tiger guy, and uh, I was the ring announcer. So everybody knew their place, and Gene was the best. Uh, interview guy in the history of the business, so it was a good time. Man. I, I haven't thought. I actually haven't thought about that that in a while. Sitting in that trailer telling stories, so I'm, oh. I'm glad that that came up. Uh, that you know, some things you don't think about, but that was some of the funnest times I ever had, and I consider wow, it an awesome. honor to be able to be in those uh, in the, in that trailer. Yeah, you you say that um, Gene Oakland is. Uh, the the best interviewer. Who do you think the best play-by-play was? And you know your decades of wrestling knowledge. Who is your favorite play-by-play guy? Um, you know it's different. Um, I think for what it was back in the the early '80s, I think Vince McMahon, believe it or not, was really entertaining. Um, I think uh, I, I, Jim Ross to call a match, to call a classic match. Jim Ross is the all-time best. Um, I think Mike Tenay has done a fabulous job when he was doing TNA wrestling, especially you know, uh, you know, with some of the stuff that that was being presented to, when they first started, some of the over the top stuff, uh, and having to make that sellable to the to the average wrestling fan. Um, and and I think Tony was was pretty undervalued. I mean, Tony is is a baseball play by play guy. That's what he did before, and that's what he does now. And he came in and told stories and, you know, be, you know, had a little ting of humor, but didn't step on the, the other personalities. Um, I think, and, 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 you know, it, and I can't have to say, uh, listening, watching that match on Facebook 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago with Rocky Johnson and, uh, uh, Pat Patterson and Ivan Koloff. Now that I, uh, Gene Oak, not Gene Oakland, Gordon Soley is who I grew up on. And, um, both championship wrestling from Florida and later championship uh, Georgia championship wrestling, and you know you grow up on them and you take them for granted, and then you go you get on to some of the you know you have the JRs and the Vince McMahon's who are a little bit more yelling and not I don't want to say yelling and screaming but excited, and Gordon Soley was never excited. But the irony is when you go back and you listen to Gordon Soley now, he was excited. He just sold it as a sport and never was over the top. And I'm not saying the other guys are over the top; they all have their styles. You know, just like Gary Capetta had a style of ring announcing, Howard Finkel has a style of ring announcing, Michael Buffer. You know, we all have just different styles. But 
You know, Gordon Soley was just amazing at being able to tell a story with his inflections and his and his uh, words and his back treating it like a professional sport. And going back at 49 years old and listening again to it now that I am seasoned in this business, so to speak, uh, and, and to be able to to see it now. Uh, with my eyes at 49 years old and listen to it is absolutely a thing of beauty. There was not to go on and on, but there was an angle they put up there recently with um, Ernie Ladd, Dusty Rhodes and Gordon Soley. And they showed like sort of like clips of the whole three week angle or two week angle. They're trying to find out if Ernie Ladd was coming to collect the bounty that Harley race had put on Dusty Rhodes. Anyway, Ernie Ladd was amazing in the, in the, in the, in the angles Dusty Rhodes was over the top, but I would say Gordon Soley's selling of those at that angle was every bit as bit as equal to Dusty and Ernie Ladd's uh, to get that angle over. It's just really Soley cool was, to be able Soley, to see that. Soley was definitely one of a kind. I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned Soley many times on this show, and I've listened to Soley countless amount of times. He, Soley's funny to me. I, you know, you, you say that he... I, I definitely agree that he was very monotonous and he had some inflections, but they weren't very distinct from his his normal tone. You know, you know, whoa, you know, Ric Flair with the belly to belly Sue play. You know, it, play, it, yeah. it was, <laughs> you know, I forgot very... about all that. I forgot about all that stuff. I love, you know, do you know, social media. You could relive that stuff, and you know, when Dusty passed, I was able to go back and listen. To all the dusty stuff, and I I know that um that uh that you know his most famous interview is the uh, uh one from World Championship Wrestling where he, uh, he was Flair talking about hard times. I still think the best one ever is the one where he and Dustin were talking about how he was going to be Dustin's partner against Terry Funk and Arn Anderson. Uh, mm-hmm. What was the promo? Um, uh, I, I don't remember the theme of the promo, but I going back, I still think that's the best one. But getting back to uh, to Gordon. Yeah, really one of a kind, and he wasn't appreciated as much because there was really nobody to compare him to. But if you go back and you look, for those people that are watching that maybe haven't listened to Gordon Soley call a match, but they did back in their childhood, go back and, and, and Google it on YouTube and listen because he was, I mean, he wasn't excited. He wasn't over the top in any way, shape, or form. He called it like a real sport, but just the little things really sold, especially the angles, uh, just amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. What about Lance Russell in uh, Memphis area? Oh, I forgot Lance. Lance. I knew there was somebody I was leaving out. You know, I got to work with Lance uh, after WCW several different times. Corey Macklin, who's another person in uh, personality mm-hmm. in wrestling, who's passed away. He would uh, promote with Jerry Lawler and, and Jimmy Hart uh, Legends of Memphis shows. They actually had a TV show uh, for a while, and the producer of the show had no idea about it. It was a live show. Had no idea how to do wrestling. While I've never produced, I did work in production in WCW. So I jumped into the booth and took over the show. And you know, the only, the only, you know, the one nice thing Jerry Lawler has ever said to me—not that he said unnice things—but Jerry Lawler, if you know him, is not the kind of person to rub uh, pleasantries in your face. Uh, he's sort of, you know, about—he's—he's he's kind of about Jerry Lawler. And I don't mean that as an insult. That's just how he is. And uh, but he came, he told me afterwards I saved the the, the, the television show. And, you know, that was a cool thing I got to do. But well, I got to work with Lance, and, and that was an honor. He was different. And, and he, while he was over the top, he, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, the personalities that this business has 
has has produced. You know, you think about people like Gordon Soley, like Lance Russell, Gene Okerlund, Vincent Mann, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone. You know, it's funny. Tony did a great job, but he pales in comparison to, like, almost – I don't even know if he'd make the top ten. And he certainly deserves to, but there's just so many amazing personalities that have oh, been yeah. in this business and are in this business. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think Tony would make the top ten, and I consider Tony a great friend. And I have total, total respect for Tony Schiavone for what he did in front of the scenes and behind the scenes and having to put up with a hard situation towards the end. But, um, you know, as far as uh, having a, uh, you know, you know, we could see the writing on the wall, but we still had to produce. But, uh, but yeah, it, uh, I have, you know, don't spend a lot of time thinking about uh, television personalities from behind the microphone because you're so used to watching what happens, you know, in front of your, you know, what happens on the, on the screen. But, uh, but it's, it's cool that we got talking about it because, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really, uh, there's a lot of legendary announcers. Yeah, I it's it's funny because I watched a little bit of Lance Russell growing up cuz I grew up in the 80s and I I watched some Memphis stuff not not I didn't remember it so much in the 80s and I remember his hiccup of uh a stint in the WCW in the 90s early 90s I think it was um or yeah I think it was 90 when he came either 90 or 91 well, I didn't uh, come until like ninety three, so yeah, he was there when I he was there before I came I, I was up there. Yeah. And I was yeah. working behind the scenes for a long time before I even was a ring announcer. But um mm-hmm. but yeah, he's we one of the legitimately nicest guys I've ever met. And I met a lot of people. I mean, you know, he's just a, a super warm, nice guy. And uh yeah, I heard that Lawler and Terry Funk are wrestling one more time in Tennessee and Lance Russell's gonna be there. I wish I could uh Wish I could wow. move on over to Jackson, Tennessee, and check that out. But uh, I got to wow. earn a living. But uh, yeah. yeah, Terry Funk. Terry Funk is one of the, my favorite wrestlers growing up, and uh, Terry, Dusty Rhodes, and Roddy Piper. And I got to work for two of them, and I got to know Terry really well. So it's you know it, it's pretty cool living your dream. It really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I got to say, you know, not everybody gets to live their dream, but at the highest level. But I did, and it, it's pretty darn cool. Yeah, I remember. Uh, it's, it's funny because as I was growing up, I didn't really remember too much of Lance Russell. I mean, I remember I remembered him, but I, I didn't know too much of him to say a lot about him. But it's funny because this past year, I've been watching hours and hours and hours of CWA stuff. And it was just really, really interesting just seeing him and Dave Brown, you know, on the table together. And just this has been, you know, it, it was awesome just to see just that old school 85, 86, 87, 88 type of wrestling feel. I remember growing up with it, but just the Memphis feel and just how they would just, I mean, the video quality was so much different than now. You could just, a 30 to second to a minute, you know, video package, um, and then you got so much social media, but intermittently they would cut into like a backstage segment when Lance, Lance Russell just start, you know, throwing out different cities that they're going to be in. Yeah, we got a dandy in Evansville, you know, and, and it was, and it's awesome how that used to, that used to be the way to promote wrestling. And you know, as the time evolved, as as the time evolved, it was it was different. But it's really good to to just as a traditionalist myself, watching wrestling for over thirty years, 
you know, just to just to appreciate those times where we see what we see now, but as you're talking about with CWF and, you know, growing up that way, just seeing that type of wrestling and really appreciating it. What's your experience with AWA? I didn't Who get to like see a lot of AWA. I mean, okay. it was, a, you know, I didn't get to see a lot of them. I, 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 I think, you know, like I said, Mean Gene is the, the best of all time. Uh, but as far as their, their play-by-play guys, I really didn't know them at all. Um, you know, the funny thing is the, the difference between Gordon Sully and Lance Russell, who are arguably the two best of that era, um, the difference between them was that, and Bob Caudill was pretty good too, but um, – mm-hmm. The difference between Lance and Gordon is that it really the difference of the territories that they were in. Uh, you know, in championship wrestling from Florida, it was produced as an athletic competition, and it was important to Eddie Graham at the time, who was the promoter, and, and, and the people in charge to present it like an athletic competition. And Gordon Soley was very calm and very, you know, dry. And if the heels, the, the bad guys were arguing with uh, – with Gordon, he would just kind of say, "That's your opinion," you know. And 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 Memphis was sort of over the top, wild and wacky, uh, you know, breaking down and hard, more way more hardcore than Florida was. Uh, and 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 Lance Russell was, you know, over the top. You know, the heel the heels would start arguing with him. He'd be like, "Well, come on, Jerry, you know better yeah, than that," you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you know, you, that, that's ridiculous. You know, sort of almost argue with him and. Um, it really matched the territories, and and I guess that's the, that was the key back in the day. You know, I've really become fascinated with territorial wrestling back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s because we're never going to see it again. And I think it was a really, really cool thing. And um, you know, I'm really you know w- watching a lot of that, and um, you know that's what made it special is every territory was defined and different, and um, you know. Georgia Championship Wrestling sort of combined both, and Gordon was able to settle in there as well. But, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's just uh, it's just amazing to go back and see, you know, how these territories were run, and it's a shame that, you know, we only have, you know, really one company that's producing wrestling at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of a company, their, their competitor uh, for, many to- for many years were – Really, six solid years, the Monday Night Wars was uh, WCW. So you became a announcer. Um, what, what year did you really uh, become out? It was in the 80s, right? Late 70s or Oh, 80s? no, 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 90s. I want to say probably 93. I became mm-hmm. the backup Became the backup for, uh, for Gary Capetta. And then I think 95, 96. My timeline might might be off, and I do apologize. Well, not WCW, uh, not WCW. I'm talking about just period. Just when, when did you start? When did you know that announcing was what you wanted oh, to do? Oh, you DJ for yeah, a while well, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I was a DJ. Um, uh, I worked as uh, uh, we had a high school radio station that I worked at as a DJ, and then I did uh, bar mitzvah, sweet sixteens, and weddings on the weekend when you had mm-hmm. to haul all the records around. And then, uh, yeah, uh, I've told the story a lot of times, but. Um, Make it make a long story short. There was a company called Global Wrestling Alliance, based out of South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, um, that Bob Roop and the Great Malenko were involved in. It was a penny stock company in 1986 when WWE made it big, and um, they uh, they sold penny stocks on the penny stock market, obviously. And there was a guy who ran it called uh, Michael Brannon, who wrestled as Doctor Red Roberts and managed. And he did a gimmick down in the Indies in South Florida before. Uh, 
he was running the Global Wrestling Alliance, where he was a psychologist, and he would come out and analyze as a heel the the, the baby faces. And um, truth be told, he was a real psychologist and still is actually in Fort Lauderdale. And um, my dad was also a psychologist and one of the people that he had a counseling center that uh, had he had counselors that worked for him in the building and. Um, one of those counselors knew Dr. Red Roberts and knew that I was really into professional wrestling. When they started the uh, uh, Global Wrestling Alliance, uh, they got in touch with Michael Brandon and Dr. Red Roberts, and their first taping was in the Diplomat Hotel. And uh, he said, come on out, and I came on out and watched it. They already had a ring announcer. And then when they did the second set of TV tapings, they had me come out and, and uh, help them behind the scenes a little bit. And then uh, they had a spot show in Palatka, I want to say, Florida, and um, main event was the Iron Sheik against Corporal Kirshner, and uh, Ox Baker was on it, uh, Adrian Street, Cousin Junior, and uh, they had me ring announce it. First time I ever ring announced, first time I was ever in a locker room. Uh, didn't know what to think, but uh, sort of started working for them as a ring announcer and behind the scenes and promoted some shows. And, um, and then when they closed, me and Bob Root bought their ring and promoted shows around South Florida. And... Uh, then we, uh, when Bob got a call from Ole Anderson, who he had worked with when he was in the wrestling business, uh, as in, uh, not in the wrestling business, worked with as a wrestler in the business, uh, to be an agent for WCW, Bob went up and took that job and arranged for me to start booking enhancement talent for Florida and bring them up for Jody Hamilton, who booked the enhancement talent, who's the assassin. And uh, that's how I started uh, getting involved with WCW. I would bring up the enhancement talent and... Um, and while I was there, I was running guys for interviews and get, having different sheets signed, paperwork signed for the promotion, and uh, and it just kind of blossomed from there when they had an opening to ring announce. Wow, that's awesome. So so uh, Shivani was instrumental in bringing you in as a full-time announcer for WCW, right? Well, it's actually a kind of a funny story. Um I had Jim Ross. Remember, Tony was in. It was in uh, WWF at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, Jim Ross was in WCW. And so I had gone up to Jim Ross while I was walking around, running guys for interviews, because he did a lot of the interviews. And I told him, you know, when we had a, a break, um, you know, hey, I'm a ring announcer. I do it independently. Uh, if you ever have an opening, I'd appreciate you giving me an opportunity since I'm here anywhere, anyway. And uh, he said, sure, no problem. And um, so then he left the company when Eric started, and um, uh, Tony, who was in the WWF, came back to WCW and sort of took Jim Ross's place behind the, the microphone and then also in the production side. He was in charge of a lot of the interviews and stuff like that. So one day Tony walked up to me uh, before I got a chance to talk to him, and he said, hey, you're the guy who brings up the, the wrestlers from Florida, right? And I said, yeah, you know why? And he said, <coughs> excuse me. He said, well, I got a guy who used to ring announce for WWF, and we wanted to give him a tryout because we have an open position for the backup ring announcer, second string. Do you think you could bring him up next week so we don't have to fly him? Excuse me. <coughs> I apologize. And um, so my heart sunk. And I said, all right, Penzer, it's now or never. So I said, you know, I'm happy to do that, but I do want to tell you that I had talked to Jim Ross when he was doing what you're doing, and I had told him that I'm also a ring announcer, and I'd love an opportunity. And he said, well, I you know, appreciate you speaking up. Uh, 
we'll give him a tryout next week. His name is Dino Puglia, and um, and then you could do the week after. So we both worked. We both were okay. Uh, it was one of the scariest moments of my life because for years I had been up there telling guys, wrestlers and behind-the-scenes people, Jody Hamilton, all these people, you know, I could ring announce. So if I couldn't ring announce, not only was was, was I not going to get the job, but I probably wouldn't have ever came back because at that point my whole reason for going up there for very, very little money was to work my way into a ring announce job. So it was uh, it was nothing or everything. And uh, and I think I won by default. Nobody ever said anything, but uh, I think they figured, look, they're both – they're both okay, but Penzer's here anyway, and we don't have to pay a plane ticket, and Dino's not, so let's just use Penzer since he's already here. So uh, that's how I got the gig, and I did the um, the house show, the the B house shows, and then I did um, uh, the uh, the syndicated tapings for WCW Pro and WCW Worldwide, and then um, Gary Capetta did the A house shows and WCW Saturday Night. Gary Michael Capetta. I'm sure you got some stories about him. The world's most dangerous announcer. <laughs> Gary was a good guy. Gary kind of he kind of kept to himself. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was one of the guys who would, uh, you know, I was trying to get to know the wrestlers and you know go down to the bar, you know, in Atlanta after TV when we did back to back and have a few cocktails and just kind of observe, you know, uh, what was going on and get sink it all in. And Gary, you know, stayed to himself. He was a friendly guy. Um, it just wasn't very sociable. He was older, I guess. And uh, uh, but he was very instrumental in helping me, you know, prepare for, you know, when he knew he wasn't coming back, prepare for that spot. And, uh, you know, he just uh, was a great mentor and I owe him a lot. So do you remember the first like pay-per-view that you announced in WCW? Yeah, it was in Columbus, Ohio. I forget the name right now. I want to say, um, shoot, but uh, yeah. And um I heard a funny story after the fact. Eric Bischoff uh, was counting on Michael Buffer being there to be the uh, main event ring announcer, which, you know, Michael Buffer always used to come and do Let's Get Ready to mm-hmm. Rumble. And for whatever reason, at the last minute, uh, Michael Buffer couldn't come. And I guess that Eric panicked because uh, I had never done a pay-per-view before and he didn't want me doing the main event. So he actually offered Gary Capetta, like I think somewhere between two and Three thousand bucks to come in just to do the main event of that show because he wanted somebody other than me to do it. And Gary, at least the way Gary tells it, Gary said, "No, you you wanted Penzer, you're gonna stick with Penzer. I'm mean, not gonna I'm not gonna come back and play this game." And uh, I appreciate that because he knows what would have happened if that would have happened. But uh, he went with me, and uh, I did okay, I guess, and I, I stayed there. So I didn't know that story wow. at the time, or else I probably would have had a panic attack over it. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember any like specific times where you just botched, you know, like a, a big uh, uh, announce announcement or just fumbled? I don't remember in WCW. I was pretty darn prepared. I do remember when we did the XWF down at Universal Studios. I don't know if you remember the XWF. Um, With uh, Jimmy Hart, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's the reason I'm mm-hmm. in Tampa now. Because um, mm-hmm. they moved me down here and I just kind of stayed, but um, <laughs> I do remember in the XWF I was doing talent relations and ring announcing and helping to produce the, the taping, so I was all over the place. We had a, a deal where Juventud Guerrero won the uh, cruiserweight championship on one of the tapings, and um, I was actually running around 
I wasn't even at ringside when the, the, the when he won the title. I was running around trying to find somebody. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I announced, ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match and new WCW Cruiserweight Champion. Oh, Ubuntu <laughs> Guerrero. And I didn't even realize it at the time because I was running around with a microphone, a cordless mic, and I could hear, you know, what was going on in my uh, in my IFB, which you know, the little thing you were in here, but um. Mm-hmm. That's the one that stands out the most. But in WCW, there are a couple of small things. But if you just keep going, usually most people don't remember. Mm-hmm. There was now, no getting around the WCW, except we, we just uh, – luckily it wasn't live, so only the people there yeah. And everybody that's laughed. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, you um... – <clears throat> You you know became a you know very notable uh, ring announcer in WCW. Now I don't know how much you hung out in the back with the boys. Was were you just one of the guys, or were you the ring announcer guy? Like how did they perceive the ring announcers and other personnel that weren't wrestlers typically? You know you have to win their you have to win their trust. Um, you know at first when I first got the job doing the B shows, I rode by myself. And then um, Randy Anderson, Pee Wee, the referee, took me under his wing mm-hmm. and um, and showed me the ropes. I think at first it was more because I got it my hotel room paid so he and my car paid. So And they had to pay for that. The referee and the talent had to pay for that out of their pocket. So I think Pee Wee figured, hey, I'll take this guy under uh, my wing, and uh, I don't have to pay for my portion of a car and my portion of a hotel, so I'll save some money. And it was a win-win. He got to save money, and I got to learn the ropes, and as – me and Pee Wee traveled together, and you know, uh, I learned about the business and and the road, and uh, you know, the road, you know, is 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 lonely sometimes, and you know, so you know, you go out and have some cocktails, or you know, you you hang, you know, whatever, you know, and just to kind of come down after the uh, adrenaline of the night, you know, we we don't finish till ten, eleven o'clock, and most people are usually finish work at five o'clock in the. Uh, in the afternoon, and by ten eleven, their their adrenaline is kicked back down, but ours is still going. So you know, you just learn the ways of the road, and then the the guys, the boys, finally, you know, started inviting me to different things, you know, and Pee Wee would bring me to the bar with them, and uh, you know, and then eventually, I, Bobby Eaton would ride with us, and uh, and then in WCW, I would ride with uh, different times Pee Wee, and then he left the company, and I'd ride with Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Probably the funnest year I ever had. Was driving, was traveling with Arn and Rick. Arn was is the funniest guy in the one of the funniest guy. I know I call Bobby Heenan the funniest guy in the world, but him and Arn are pretty tied. Um, and uh, and so hanging with Arn and then having Rick along, you know, and Arn to this day is a, is a good friend. And so you know, Rick's a good friend as well. Uh, I've seen Rick a couple times this year, and uh, you know, I'm glad he's doing well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, they consider you one of the guys. You know, you know the ribs that they play on the on the the wrestlers are the same ribs I got ribbed on. You know, the the rib in WCW Monday Nitro and on the road back in uh, 1998-1999 was uh, I would come back to the uh, after I had a briefcase and I'd come back probably two days out of five on the road. I would come back to the locker room after the show and there was a padlock on my briefcase attached to something. And it got to the point where uh, before the, 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 I, as soon as I got to the building, I'd go find uh, the person that was in charge of the, you know, the tools in the building or the, the, you know, the uh, utility, and I'd make sure that they had a, um, a bolt cutter ready. 
so that I didn't have to, you know, hang around too long after the show to find a bolt cutter. And in uh, at the TV tapings, they had a bolt cutter already waiting for me. You know, I never did find out who did that. I think it was Kurt Hennig, but a lot or uh, Kurt Hennig and Nick Patrick. But uh, yeah, you're just one of the boys. But you have to prove yourself, especially if you're a non-athlete. You know, uh, you know. I remember one of the guys. I forget who it was. Came up to me. Um, you know, probably. Uh, I forget who it was. One of the one of the, it was a pretty big name. Came up to me. Uh, you know, after he got to know me pretty well, and he said, um, "You know, you deserve to be one of the boys. You know, you might not be you know, you might not be tough when it comes to athletics, but you're out here on the road like we are, and you're doing your thing, busting your butt." And you deserve to be on the road, and you deserve to be one of the boys. It was one of the nicest things anybody said to me, actually. And now I can't remember who the heck said it. I'm, it'll come to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's awesome. So, 2001 comes, and we see the unfortunate demise of WCW, and you were part of the one of the last breed of of people um, that were a part of the company before. Um, the purchase. Now, did you know anything? Like, uh, what was your personal take on it? Like, were you informed about a shift? Because uh, I know that they were doing the Time Warner thing, the AOL Time Warner thing, and and Bischoff. You know, uh, he there, there there's many reports, and you know, even he, he said before that you know uh, he had a, a, a something going on, but the investors pulled out, uh, and so. What did you know about the state of WCW before the purchase, and what, what were your feelings when it actually happened? Well, um, the last year was pretty crazy, and you know the the ratings were declining, the revenue was declining, the the the, the ratings were still pretty decent compared to what they were today, but you know based on what we had set the the, the bar for, uh, it wasn't good. Uh, the, the, they were losing a ton of money, so you knew at some point, you know, especially with Ted Turner losing his um, his his a lot of his power in his own company uh, by merging, you know, because Ted would probably have kept the wrestling thing going just because it got him to where it was, you know, it got him to, to start, you know, to make his superstation so big, um, which led to CNN and TNT and all the different uh, networks. But um, you know, you sort of had a feeling that you were never comfortable that. Uh, you were going to have a job in the long term. I, I really feel for the TNA guys because uh, I, I, you know, I understand how it is. I've lived through it. I don't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, but you know, uh, you, you just you were it was an, an, an uneasy feeling. But you just kind of had to do your job and hope for the best. And then Eric uh, decided that it made an offer. There was a company called Fusent Media. I don't know that I've ever heard the name before or after, but they were going to purchase the company. So when that happened and they started doing their due diligence, uh, Eric sort of came back, and while he wasn't on TV or anything, he ha- kind of had a control of um, what the company was going because if he was going to buy it, he wanted to be able to direct it the way that it would be sustainable once he bought it. And so Johnny Ace became his right-hand man, and I sort of became Johnny Ace's right-hand man, John Laurinaitis, people power guy. And um, People power yeah, and uh, so the plan was when Eric bought the company, I was going to go and be John Laurinaitis's right hand man. Uh, so you know, I was I was working in talent relations, and I was even sitting in on the booking committee uh, at, towards t- in that time. And then we never heard that the deal with Eric fell through. 
the way I learned about the end of the company, basically, is somebody called me. I was at home and said, turn on WWF. I think it was still WWF at the time, website. And I turned on WWF's website. I'll never forget the computer was in my kitchen in Peachtree City, Georgia. And I turned it on, and the splash page was the WWF logo. And then right in the middle, up in the left-hand corner, and right in the middle of the page was a big purchases. And then down on the right, bottom right-hand corner, it had the WW, uh, WCW logo, the new one that they had done to look more futuristic. And my heart sank. And I had tears in my eyes. I'm going to lie to you. You know, when you get to live your dream and then possibly taken away, it's not a fun thing. Uh, yeah. You know, but I, I went to the I went to Nitro in, in Panama City, and I, I decided I was going to do the best that I could do. You know, we didn't know at the time that Shane McMahon was going to be there. I, I did find out in the production meeting, but uh, I decided I was going to put it, lay it all out on the table, and let the WWE guys that were there see what I could do, and hope for the best. And if it was yeah. the, the if it was the swan song, I was going to enjoy it, and I did that. Absolutely. So there were a few years between uh, your your stint uh, ending in, in WCW and uh, being acquired by uh, and hired by by TNA. So, what did you do mainly at that time, and how did you get into TNA? Well, I um, I was moved to Tampa to work for the XWF. Uh, I was a salaried employee and ring announcer for their TV and their house shows. And, uh, and so they moved me down here and, and I, and I came to work and then that didn't work out. And so I didn't really know what I was going to do. I started a company called in your face bookings where I would book, uh, talent for independent shows. And, um, uh, that was somewhat sustainable. My wife had a job and, um, and then I started just out of the middle of nowhere. I started a company that had nothing to do with wrestling, but actually grew and became pretty successful in a very short time. So I figured that was it for me in wrestling. And uh, you know, wrestling kind of forgot about me. And I, you know, I always loved wrestling, but I just figured that was it. And uh, Jeff Jarrett called me on the phone one day. We, we kept in contact, Jeff and I. And Jeff said, "Hey, you want to come?" I'll never forget. I was at a birthday party at a bowling alley for my 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 oldest son, and uh, he called me on the cell phone and said, hey, you want to come ring announce? And I said, sure, you know, what do you want? What's the details? And he said, this is what we'll pay you, and this is what we want you to do, so get out the tux and come on down. So I came on down, because I lived in Tampa, and they were taping in Orlando. And I came down, and they said, you know, Jeff was, was very upfront. He said, look, Jeremy Borash has been with us through the thick and thin since the beginning of this company, and we're loyal to him. And, and and that's a good thing. I'm glad they're loyal to him. He deserves it. And uh, they said Shane Douglas was our interview guy, and Shane has some personal issues. He had to take some time off, get himself together. Uh, so we're going to move JB into the interview guy, and we're going to use you to ring announce. He said it could last a week, and, you know, you, you never know. But he said, I want to be clear. As soon as somebody comes to take the interview spot, you're moving, you know, we're, we're not going to use you anymore because Jer Jeremy's moving back down. And I said, I applaud the fact that you're loyal, and I'll be here for as long as you want me. You're paying me good money, and I'm, I live an hour away. So uh, thank God Jeremy was so good behind the stick doing the interviews uh, because they never did bring Shane back as an interview guy because Jeremy was so good at it. And so I ended up getting a five-year run. Uh, and... Uh, 
so that was cool. And I, I, I still ran my, my business, but uh, I had a couple of partners that could pick up the slack when I was in Orlando. Plus, I had a cell phone and computer with all the latest, you know, all the technology exploding the way it did. So that was a good little run. And then um, they decided to not have an interview guy in the back. They, uh, if you remember correctly, at one point, Jason Hervey was off camera asking questions right behind the camera, but you could hear him. And uh, so they decided, look, we're paying Jeremy a salary. He's not doing the the he's not doing the um, the interviews. So why are we paying Penzer a nightly deal when Jeremy's paying a salary and he's a ring announcer? So Jerry Taylor called me and said, uh, "We no longer need you. It's not you're not getting fired. It's a lateral move." And I said, "Thank you for the opportunity." And uh, off I went. Hmm. And that was what 2010. Yeah, that would have been 2009, 2010. And it was a great opportunity. I never thought I'd have. You know, I got to reconnect with the guys and I had some great times. Mike Tanay and Don West and Kevin Nash and Jeff and uh, you know, got to work with Sting again, which was really cool. And who would ever believe in 2015 uh, September that Sting is going to headline a WWE pay-per-view for the World Heavyweight Championship? But good for him. He deserves it. He's a class act. But uh, you know, and. So yeah, that was that was my TNA run. I still can't remember who uh, who told me that I deserved it, but it's on the tip, tip of my tongue. I can like <laughs> see the guy, but I can't think of the name. Yeah, well, you're at David Penzer, so I'm sure that uh, you'll tweet it. There's a lot of people listening to this show. So. Yeah, I need some more uh, Twitter followers, man. <laughs> you need to get me some Twitter followers. There you go. What's your what's I, your I had Twitter a good uh, hashtag? I, I got no, it's Twitter uh, at David Penzer and. Uh, you could come and I call because I come from Facebook, so I call it like. But you don't like, you follow. You could follow mm-hmm. me, and you know I don't I don't tweet a ton. I'm not gonna to uh, to break your feed down, but uh, come on and follow the old uh, ring announcer. I got some wisdom left in me. Absolutely. So real quick uh, before we go, what based on your WCW uh, tenure and. WWE at this time, what would you say the big difference is between the two products? Between WCW and TNA or WWE and TNA? WCW and the current WWE. Um, I don't watch too much of the new WWE. I tape it and fast forward. Uh, the uh, fast forward it. Um, you know. WCW at the time really was about uh, bringing the uh, some of the legendary names back, um, you know, incorporating them with the feel at the time where you know you felt like there was, the NWO was the was the uh, uh, aggressor and trying to you know the you know you remember the storyline with NWO was portrayed to be you know Vince sending his guys over to get WCW and Billionaire Ted and you know that was really cool and 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 it would never nothing like that had ever been done before we were playing off of their angle their little vignettes and uh you know you couple that with bringing in you know the high flying luchadors that had never really gotten a chance in the US and it was a different cool exciting style and um and and you know the the Japanese wrestling and the different short shoot style and the Chris Jericho's and you know so many personalities i mean you look back at the the you know the talent that we had and it was uh it was pretty pretty amazing, and uh, you know WWE right now is sort of in a transition period. They, uh, you know, they're trying to build around new uh, new 
guys like Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, you know, without getting away from, you know, the John Cena's of the world and the Triple H's. And, you know, so they're at, sort of at a crossroads, too. Uh, but I think WCW at its heyday was, when it first started, was, you know, predict, you know, expect the un- unexpected. You know, Eric always had a trick up his sleeve, whether it was giving away the results of Monday Night Raw, which was pre-taped, or bringing out a guy like Luger. Or you never knew who was going to walk out there, and we never knew who was going to walk out there. Um, you know, Medusa throwing the WWE title uh, in, the, in the trash can. It, uh, it was an expect the unexpected, and it, was, it made it much-watched TV. And an era where there was, where WWE was not much watched TV, um, you know, you know, I, I think that w, uh, WWE got a bump recently because there was the big question mark: who's going to be uh, a couple of weeks ago on Raw? Who's going to be the guy in the box? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they even they teased, uh, uh, um, you know, they they they. I, I didn't know who it was going to be, and I thought it was cool that it was Sting, but I didn't know who it was going to be. You know, Ric Flair came out, that John Stewart segment. Um, so that's some of the expected unexpected, but very rare that I watch Raw live. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw back and forth to a Rays game because I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan, but, uh, you know, so when they're in a commercial break, I'll, I'll, I'll pop it in and see what, what's going on, but very rare. But that last segment I watched live because I was curious, who was it, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I still remember watching Raw when Eric Bischoff walked out, and I, had, I couldn't believe it. I looked at my wife, and I said, oh, my God, hell is frozen over. You know, but that was a big deal. But Eric strove to do that every week, and that's what made him different. And WWE, does, they're the only game in town, so they don't have places to steal talent from. You know? So, so it, it, Bischoff and Russo, like, were, were they easy to work with or no? I, I really didn't work on uh, – you know, I didn't work on, uh, uh, you know, at that close with those guys. You know, Russo seems like, um, like Russo is a very laid back guy, uh, but you know, I, I didn't exactly agree with a lot of the things that he, uh, a lot of the thing, his 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 approach to writing wrestling. I wasn't a big fan of, but. Uh, you know, Eric was Eric kind of you know kept to himself. Eric wasn't a big hey, how you doing? What's going on? How's your wife? And he'll admit that. He'll admit to this day he wasn't uh, he wasn't that kind of guy. Uh, he was uh, he was a state. You know, he only really associated most of the time with the, the people he was friends with, and the uh, and 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 you know the top talent because there was so much going on with the top talent. You kind of had to stick somebody in there to deal with them. But uh, but. You know, so I really didn't get to work as close with them as as, as to, to see what kind of people they were. Um, you know, they were both laid back at production meetings and stuff. But uh, you know, I, I I know that I've seen Vince and I've seen both of them now actually in in TNA. And I know in TNA, um, uh, you know, it was funny seeing them work together after all this time. But uh, uh, in TN in TNA, you know, they they were uh, Russo would fight. You know, the one thing is you got to pick your battles in this sport. In this business, you got to pick your battles to what you want to fight for, and I think they were both good at picking their 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 battles to only fight for what they really believed in, and then just kind of do what uh, the uh, the boss wants you to do in the other times. Mm-hmm. Last question for you, David. So, you, it's been about five years. Actually, it's been about five and a half years since uh, you've been gone from from uh, announcing ring announcing. And, you know, 
there's still the WWE and NXT, but you still have uh, TNA, and you still have GWF, Global Force Wrestling, and ROH. Have we seen the last of David Penzer as a ring announcer? Well, you know, I'm still out there. Uh, you know, I did the Legends of Wrestling at City Field. I'm working with that group, uh, helping them behind the scenes. I think that they're working on some additional shows. Uh, so, you know, I might do that. You're, you know, I'm uh, supposed to be doing some um, uh, college uh, tailgate parties where they're having Legends of Wrestling come. Uh, it's a company, uh, I don't want to say who it is because I don't, I don't know if they want it announced, but uh uh, to where I'm going to host uh, some Q&As, I believe, with them. I think I'm doing one in Miami and one in Gainesville. So, uh, and if that works out, we're, they're going to do it, um, you know, every every week at a different college stadium. So, uh, have you seen the last of me on television? I would I would assume so. Yeah, I'm 49 years old. I'm 25 pounds heavier than I was. It's a young person's business. It's a woman's business now. You know, you got Eden, Cody's wife, and you got a. Uh, you know, Lillian and and the, you know and 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 it's it's just like I, I always tell people and you know in in the NFL you know most of the people on the sidelines are intelligent, good-looking women who know the business because you know it's nicer to look at you know you figure you know a, a bunch of guys sitting around watching a game would rather uh, look at an attractive woman uh, than than some guy in a suit and tie. So I'm cool with that, but. You know, if I ever get the opportunity, I'll be grateful. But if I don't, I had a heck of a run. I live my dream, like I said. You know, and you know, it, like I said, it's it's really really cool to be able to live your dream and get to know your heroes as friends. And uh, if I could only remember the name of the person who told me that, I would be a happy camper right now. <laughs> All right, well, I'll give you oh, one more question. Was, oh, then. I got it. It was Perry Saturn. How's that for timing? There you go, Perry Saturn. Perry Saturn, Perfect. one of the toughest. <laughs> One of the toughest, legit shoot guys who looked at me and said, Penzer, you know, I had doubts about you. You may not take bumps, but you do everything we do, and you, you should call yourself one of the boys. And I said, Perry, I realized that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Last question. I, one other question just popped up. So what are your thoughts about TNA? Do you think that uh, the, the direction is, is heading south, or do you think that they can rebound from uh, this this very – tough time that they're going through right now well you know they, they sort of say face the same problem as xwf did which is that um you know at the time next in the xwf uh tv uh tv networks were down on professional wrestling and their ratings because wcw you know they couldn't imagine why uh wcw which was still in the monday night show was still one of the top 10 rated cable television shows why would you sell your company and put yourself out of business if you have a show that's doing in the top ten cable ratings? There must be something that we that you know that we don't. So, you know that was the mindset of the television networks, and and uh, so it was really hard to get a network deal. Well, TNA, unfortunately, it all comes down to being able to pay the guys because you're not making any money on house shows, you're not making any money on pay per view. So the only way is to find a partner that's going to pay you to be able to sustain doing, paying your talent, doing your TV. And uh, we, you know, uh, XWF couldn't get that done, and there was a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with current TNA. Uh, most of our stars ended up getting eaten up by Vince by the time our, we, we were ready to pedal the show. So we, didn't, we, we had a product that wasn't, that we couldn't, we had a product to, to sell that we couldn't deliver. Uh, but, you know, it, it's sort of the same reason. The, the, you know, when Destination America, which is, 
You know, and I mean no disrespect to TNA. Uh, I always wish them the best. But when Destination America, which certainly isn't one of the top cable networks, when they're not happy with you because you, even though you're getting the high, you're the highest rated show, you're not appealing to their advertisers. How do you go and sell that to a different network? How do you say, well, it's just Destination America? Well, Destination America, you know, Spike has let you go for whatever reasons. Destination America is not happy with you. How do you then go and say, you know, yeah, but we want, you know. $10 million a year, $5 billion a year, $1 million a year. You know, maybe they, they, they could try to do something where they, uh, you know, where they, you know, do it on a barter basis, but that's really tough. And if, if you're not getting the desired uh, uh, viewers as it is, how do, you, how do you sell that? So they're just really in a horrible crossroads. And, you know, they, they were able to get on because wrestling sort of gained popularity. And, you know, if you remember correctly, they started out just doing pay-per-views. Then they were paying for their TV time, and wrestling started getting popular again. And all of a sudden, the network said, well, maybe we'll give this another try. So, you know, that's how TNA was able to sustain. Uh, but now the same thing is really coming back to bite them in the rear, and it's a cyclical business. It always has been a cyclical business. Uh, you can't sustain 52 weeks a year of of of, of amazing uh, television, especially with the same talent that's out there, uh, you know, you see it on WWE. The, even Stephen Booking and the, you know, the hard to make television stars, and you give them a push, and then you pull off a push. Um, it's not like the old days where you could bring up guys from other territories and make them into stars. You know, they brought up the Undertaker from. He was a middle middle card guy. I mean, Mark Callis from WCW gave him the Undertaker gimmick. He became an instant starved there's no nowhere to get those guys to their credit they, they've done the performance center and they're starting to be able to have those guys now but what how does tna do that how does global force wrestling do that how does Bucha underground do that uh you know and and, and if you see they're all having problems trying to to make it work which is unfortunate because this business would be better off with competition and the more competition the better in my opinion but it's it's a ratings driven business and if you're not getting the ratings and you're not getting the the, the viewers that are paying for the advertisers it's just going to be tough and I, I wish them the best i don't you know this business like i said would thrive on uh on more companies out there but it's a totally different business model than it was the old days was and i don't mean to ramble but the old days was you know barter your television and then have them come out to the house shows to make your profit well that's not the business model anymore the business model changed with the monday night wars you don't have the squash matches and, and to build up to the main events at the house shows. You have the main event matches to build up to the bigger main event at the pay-per-view. And it's, it's a tough model with all the channels that are out there today. And, and I guess the demographic of professional wrestling viewers is not the greatest, which is a shame because it's still a really cool sport. You know, to watch The Undertaker against Brock Lesnar – you know, was 20 minutes, probably some of the most exciting 20, 25 minutes I've seen as a wrestling fan in 10, 15 years. But that's a, that happens maybe once or twice a year. Uh, everything else you're just kind of getting, trying to get to the next point. Yeah. yeah. But I, I still love this business, and I, I wish everybody well. And, and, I, and you know, I, I hope that everybody stays on track. I hope that Jeff could get TV or media of some kind. And, um I hope TNA could find, you know, either stay on Destination America or find another suitor. And you know, I didn't really watch Lucha Underground because I didn't understand Spanish, but it seems like it was a cool product. You know, NXT may be the new big television show. My 21-year-old son, is the, his, his favorite show is NXT. Wow. So, That's awesome. you know, it's really, you know, he's that demographic that's really starting to get back into wrestling. Uh, you know, the, the, the television is so simple. 
NXT. They've really taken it down and they simplified it to what makes it what made it good 20 years ago. And I don't know if they did that on purpose or they just did that because they had no other choice because all these guys were green. And you know, but whatever whatever reason they've done it, they've they've captured an audience as you could tell in Brooklyn uh, last two weeks ago, whenever it was, you know. 13,000 fans to see an NXT show. Who would have ever thought that in a million years? Uh, but, you know, my, my son would love to go to an NXT show, and, you know, that's what that generation is watching. So it, it's ironic that the, the biggest and pretty much only company in the world has created their own competition. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know maybe that's the way – that's what they meant That's what they meant to do when they bought WCW, and it didn't work out. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard some interviews from, from top execs um, – that Vince loves that competition piece, and they, even if it's worth, you know, NXT being sur- sort of a competition, he just loves competition. And I agree with you, just that type of feel um, that NXT gets. And that's why I'm a big fan of ROH as well. So great, great talking to you, sir. Once again, at Dave Penzer on Twitter. No, at Go David follow Penzer. the guy. At David Penzer. At David Penzer. Then I have a Facebook then I have a Facebook fan page at uh, David Penzer WCW. So you can check there that you out. There go. Awesome. At David Penzer on Twitter, right? D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R at David Penzer. Yes, sir. You got it. Awesome. Follow him, and, uh, you know, he'll continue to – I imagine the more followers he get, the more interaction he'll have. And Yeah, and yeah. I, like I, I really – awesome. I'm kind of waiting to have a – Five hundred, a thousand people, you know. Before I, don't, you know, there you go. I have a few. I have, a, I have a couple hundred now, but uh, you know, not. Uh, I've sort, of, you know, a few people remember me, but uh, yeah, come on and hook up. If uh, enjoy the ride, we're uh, we're gonna. You get to get to see life from a, a ring announcer's view, I guess. Awesome. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, David. I hey, really it's been it's been fun. It's been fun. Late night with Dave with David Benzer. <laughs> there you go. Have a good night. Appreciate it. Take care, buddy. Bye, everybody. You are now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam Show, hosted by Chris Featherstone and Derek of Crave Wrestling. This is the new Tuesday Night Titans. Awesome, awesome interview from David Penzer at David Penzer. Fantastic interview. Uh, my first time interviewing a ring announcer, and it was it was awesome. I, I enjoyed the stories. The stories were fantastic. This is what you get from Pancakes and Power Slam. We've got Chris Featherstone to thank for bringing these people on here to talk to us. I mean, this guy was he has stories that would fill six hours of you know, good radio time. So yeah. we're blessed to have him with us for an hour. Everything from the best of Pancakes and Power Slams, ladies and gentlemen, this is the place to be. We've got a lot to get to tonight. What are we going to start with, Chris? What I'm, what we're going to start with is uh, I have a, a, a new confirmation. I, I said uh, uh, September 15th uh, will be the next interview. It's actually going to be next week and September 15th. I gave a uh, a, a hint of uh, the September 15th interview being a former um, AWA Tag Team Champion, and uh, he will be there on the, six, on the 15th. Uh, but next week, the 9th, uh, I'm sorry. The the uh, yeah the 15th next week the 8th will we will have a former WWE tag team champion. So uh, Pinzer this week, a former WWE tag team champion next week, and a former 
AWA Tag Team Champion on the 15th. So we got a series of interviews, got some October interviews confirmed as well. So we will be uh, announcing the interviews as they go. That was a great, great time for David Penzer, and uh, I really had a fun time interviewing him. All right, let's get to Raw before we get to Raw, of course. Got a, I got a few more SummerSlam trivias questions for you. Trivia question number one. Who retained the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam 2012? Who retained the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam 2012? All right, ladies and gentlemen, Raw yesterday... Oh man, I, I flavor of the week is going to be. Uh, we're just going to just recap all the tough enough winners and where are they now's type of thing. And um, I've actually talked. I actually talked to. I've been going back and forth, uh, uh, just with exchanging, um, just contact with uh, one of the uh, former tough enough winners, and so. Um, uh, I'll let you know who that is when uh, we we get to flavor of the week. But yeah, uh, just uh, start, starting with this thing in ring promo. I I had to write, you know, I I chose to write this article on wearewrestling.net uh, or uh today or, or, or Tuesday about Sting being another pawn in Triple H's game. And I chose to write it on uh, WWE Nation because, one, um, the interaction there is fantastic. I love writing interaction. That's why, you know, writing for the Bleach Report was great because, you know, just the interaction that I had, um, thousands of comments and hundreds and, and upon hundreds of comments, uh, throughout uh, each article that I wrote uh, was great. And other wrestling sites that I wrote for too was the, the interaction was great. I love interaction. I love interacting with um, fans of my writing, and um, it's also it's absolutely awesome. So I wrote a pretty long article today on wawnation.com uh, about Sting being used in this. Sick, twisted booking charade of putting Triple H over. Now, you know, the, the Wu, uh, uh, Riff Claire recently interviewed uh, Steve Austin this week, and they both agreed that Sting should have won at WrestleMania. I think, you know, ever there's big moments that happen in wrestling, and then you, you get shocked in the very beginning, and you're like, oh, and you have a, a, a certain feeling, a certain impulsive feeling that's, you know, negative and, 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 and criticizing. And then after some time, you think about, okay, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. But four months later, five, excuse me, five months later, I feel the same way, and probably even worse about the outcome of Sting and Triple H. It still was ridiculous, and, I, and go to wawnation.com, check out my article, uh, and, and if you can, you can read it live now, 
uh, go there, www.nation.com. It's 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 called Sting, just another pawn in Triple H's game, and I and and, and comment as well, so we can interact. But I, I was so just after after listening to that interview yesterday, I was nauseous. I was so upset. I was nauseous. I was so perturbed by what I saw. It. it First of all, Sting for being 56 looks amazing, by the way. Fantastic shape. There's been reports of him being, you know, getting in the best shape of his life to prepare for his next project in the WWE. And you can, you can, definitely, you can definitely tell that Sting, I mean, you know, I, I'm a personal trainer. I've trained a 62-year-old woman before who was in great shape, uh, who was in good shape, but she ended up being in, in, in great shape. Very good endurance that she had. 62 years old, and by the end of our session, she was – doing, you know, miles on the treadmill, running miles on the treadmill. And so age isn't necessarily, it doesn't make you, there's not like a cutting point that makes you just worthless as far as as the physical, uh, as far as physicality is concerned. So people always say Sting's age, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if you you can go, you can go. If you're in the gym, you're in the gym. Yeah, I understand that, you know, body parts – uh, and muscles and, and and they deteriorate as you get older. Uh, you're more prone to certain things like arthritis and so forth. But if I mean, if you can go, you can go. And and if you can get in the gym and dedicate yourself at 56 years old, do it <laughs> by by all means, do it. And so you can tell that Sting's doing that. And so if he has it, if he has the endurance, if he has the strength, you, you can't just say just because he's 56 don't mean you know, doesn't mean that he can, he can't go anymore, you know, and it's, you you just can't say stuff like that, it just, it just doesn't make sense to, to automatically just throw Sting in some type of old pool with a bunch of, you know, uh, senior citizens that, you know, are are very, are very, uh, very immobile, Uh, and it's just not fair to do that, you can tell Sting's in great shape, but just the, the the interview that happened, the, the promo that he opened up with, I mean, I felt that Triple H was like, I mean, and people know that I'm a very strong Christian, and so it's like Triple H seemed like the second coming of Christ, you know, based on his promo yesterday. It was it was sickening, and I and I know that Sting's a team player. Of course, that wasn't. His words that were were coming out, I know that most of it was scripted or at least bullet pointed, and I was I was so upset by what I saw yesterday, and you know it was just a simple promo. It wasn't a run in. It wasn't anything else. It was just a simple promo of Sting putting the heck over trip put, putting over Triple A so much that it seems like he was like a rookie, and it was ridiculous to see. I was nauseated. And it just seems as if, because Sting lost at WrestleMania, and then Triple H came back later on that night on WrestleMania and talked about how Sting is stung, blah, 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 and then goes right into a potential feud with The Rock and Ronda Rousey. So Sting puts Triple H over for Triple H to feud against The Rock. Just like it seems as if, you know, Sting may win the title, 
that may happen. But at the end of the day, win or lose, Sting again is putting over Triple H. So it, it, it's just it's ridiculous. It's cringe. It was cringeworthy to watch, and I was so just disturbed by that promo. The promo was bad. It was a bad way to start Raw because to almost say that was a highlight of Raw, just about. Um, it's I didn't want to see Sting talk that much. I didn't want to see him again put over Triple H like that. And it's just it's Raw this month. It seems like just been one giant Triple H show. Granted, Triple H show. However, it was everybody's just even John Cena was last week or whatever said that the. You know, he was never Ric Flair's, you know, you know what. So it's kind of like Triple H is just kind of plugging himself into all these little avenues, and he's using something like Sting. You should not, Sting doesn't need to do stuff like that. He doesn't need to put Triple H over to make Sting look good. What's that do for anything? The guy's there on a limited time, limited basis. This is the last you're going to get from the legendary Sting. Yeah. Why have him kiss Triple H's butt like that. I don't like it. The whole thing was just a sham. It was a mockery. I don't want to see Sting talk that much. I don't. He doesn't need to. I totally agree. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Totally, totally agree. And and, and as I mentioned in the article, you know, when they build him and Triple H up in the very beginning, it was reminiscent of his Crow days in WCW. And I loved it. I absolutely loved every minute of it because it, I, I've been a Sting fan ever since the the late 80s, 86, 87. So nearly 30 years that I've been a Sting fan. So I've watched just about every Sting televised, you know, match. And I, I, I was, I, I was, I'm very astute in the whole Crow, you know, transition and I love the fact that Sting did not say a single word for a year. That was so well written and so suspenseful and so intriguing. It was absolutely amazing. Now, Sting didn't, you know, it, it was a span of a few months before he said a word, you know, for WWE. And it was, it was again, suspenseful and intriguing. But if you have him coming out with the Sting t-shirt instead of his trench coat, no trench coat, no bat, just a simple Sting t-shirt, and cuts a promo at the beginning of why are you tarnishing the mystique and I've said this before I said this last week there's only there's really only two anomalies left in the in, in pro wrestling and that's Sting and the Undertaker we don't want to know Sting is Steve Borden we don't know we don't want to know the Undertaker is Mark Calloway it's still that type of superhero and villain type of feel to them. They're still the anomalies. They're still superhuman, you know, so to speak. And it, again, it's like we don't want to know that, you know, Bruce Wayne, you know, is is Batman. We don't want to know Clark Kent is Superman. And so it's like we don't want to have that feeling. We don't want to know that. It's it's still that you know, heroism is still that type of feel to Sting and The Undertaker. We don't want to humanize them and just kind of, you know, say whatever to the anomaly that is Sting and The Undertaker. And, man, this this week was just a horrible way to keep that mystique of Sting, and I was so distracted. It was ridiculous. Running through Raw, 
uh, real quick because we're going to talk about Tough Enough here. Dolph Ziggler defeating Rusev. Uh, Summer Rae interferes. Lana, Lana attacks Summer Rae. Be- and then they have the Beak at the Clock Challenge. Uh, Becky Lynch won in, in uh, 3 minutes 21 seconds. Charlotte won in 1 minute 40. Uh, all, and, and, and then um, um, and then Paige, well, Paige won and then Charlotte won. Um, well, Paige, which Paige didn't beat the clock because because uh, her and Sha- Sasha Banks he didn't beat the clock, so Charlotte became the number one contender. Uh, Ryback defeating Big Show because of distracting by Miz. Who really cares about that Intercontinental Title feud again? Owens defeating Cesaro. What in the world are they doing with Cesaro? Having him lose like that again? It's one of those infectious, organic pushes that it seems as if. The WWE is just kind of striking down again. I just don't understand that. Braun Strowman defeating Ambrose by DQ. Uh, Strowman takes out Reigns. Dudley the Boys defeating New Day. That makes sense to lead to put them into the title picture. And then Rollins uh, has his in-ring promo interrupted by Stephanie McMahon. And then uh, Rollins calls out Sting, but John Cena appears. Uh, Rollins doing double duty at uh, SummerSlam. I think that's a great idea. What are your biggest takeaways from Raw? Derek. My biggest takeaway from Raw is we saw the return of somebody awesome, and that was Tie Dye Guy in the crowd. <laughs> Tie Dye Guy, he was there for every Raw in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then there was a sign that said, Guy, I was totally stunned. But for the truth, yeah, Raw was boring last night. There wasn't really much happening. It was to see the Dudleys again over the new day, and uh, Rollins. Thing Rollins got double duty. I'm happy with that. I mean, you need to keep this guy relevant. You got to keep him being this sneaky, greasy champion that he is. So, I mean, that helps again to kind of legitimize him to make him look like he's somebody worthy of the title. But other than that, I just, this really wasn't anything I got from. Yeah, you, know, you got the Dolph Ziggler and Summer Rae. It's it's still it's ridiculous and boring. Uh, useless. It was a pretty, it was a SmackDown Raw, is what I want to call it. It was a SmackDown Raw last night. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was certainly tough <laughs> to to watch. It really was. I, again, I don't know what in the world they're doing with with Cesaro. Uh, for the trivia question, Sheamus uh, retained the World Heavyweight Championship. Next question, who retained the European Championship against Val Venus at SummerSlam 98? Who retained the European Championship at uh, against Val Venus at SummerSlam 98? As far as Tide guy, I think he had like an interview, uh, a documentary about him like a few years back. And I've seen him just sporadically uh, within the Rawls. But yeah, the sign was was definitely pretty funny. Snuka, give me give me ninety seconds on your on your opinion of uh, Mr. Jimmy Snuka that got arrested. Um, they're they're reopening his case, and it's funny that uh, Dave Penzer was talking about psychologists because I'm actually getting my I'm actually a PhD candidate right now. I'm a, I think I've said that before. PhD candidate um, right now. I'll be a doctor in a couple of years. Forensic psychology. So all of that just sparks me. I, I love it. It's it's I love criminology and forensics and 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 forensic psychology. So I'm I'm 
all that just sparks me. And I was, you know, just me being the the, the case guy that I am, just looking further into the the Snooker case today. And I I knew about the Snooker case, but it, you know, and I always wondered, like, you know, I can't stay an unsolved crime. So she died, and you know, there was you know some 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 rumblings of Snooker doing it, and and so forth, but. You know, 32 years later, they reopened the case, and 72-year-old Jimmy Snuka, you know, is is in jail with a hundred thousand dollar bond. How, how, what's going on, Derek? I can't tell you what's going on. I mean, this is just the biggest shock to me as anyone else. And what's crazy is, like a month ago, I went to a book fair and I bought his autobiography or biography, whatever it was, for two dollars. I have yet to read it. And I honestly don't remember hearing about this case in uh, Jimmy Snuka's legendary life. And it's it was just such a, it's like a wow moment. It's like, are you kidding me? It's almost like when Piper passed away. And it's like, what's going on with our 80s wrestling stars? Yeah. Or just 80s stars in general. It's just, I, I really have, don't have much comment. I don't know anything really about this case other than what I've read today. So, like I said, I've got his book. Just I haven't read it yet, but I'm curious because I read an article today that he briefly talked about it in his book. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to be looking that up, see what's going on. I mean, it's a travesty if he's guilty, then may he, uh, you know, serve his time and you know get his punishment that he deserves. I, I I hate to say that, but I mean it's the same thing with you know, but with Hogan and with you know, what's going on with all these '80s wrestling stars and just '80s persona stars in general. It's just, you got to be kidding me. This is just another hit in the face. Are you, all my heroes are all of a sudden just coming sleaze bags and scum. It just makes me sick. So, I mean, if he's guilty, then, you know, God forbid, he needs to serve his time. That's what, that's exactly what he needs to do. And it's sad. He's got stomach cancer. That just came out not too long ago. Yeah. He's a sick old man, but you know, you do the crime, you do the time. Absolutely. Totally totally agree, man. You're you're batting a thousand tonight, Derek. I, I totally agree. You know, you gotta you gotta serve it no matter how old you are. I was again, I, I love watching code cases and there was a code case of uh, someone who uh, committed crime in the sixties and nearly fifty years later they opened it back up and uh they, they, they arrested him at his home uh for the, the the crimes that were committed the uh, the killings that were committed almost 50 years later they arrested him and he was 70 years old when he got arrested and went to jail and so you know just because you know <laughs> decades go by doesn't mean you know um you know you, you just get away scot free with that so i agree i mean if you, if you, if you did it you if you did it you got to do it you know as far as as far as time is concerned so um certainly very, very interesting. I was a big Snuka fan too. I was a big, huge Jimmy. I was a huge Jimmy Superfly Snuka fan as as a kid. I loved his music too. Super, super, super. Fly. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was awesome. But you know, hey, it's like you said, what's what's going on with our eighties? You know, uh, <laughs> our eighties wrestlers that we looked looked up to and, and wanted to emulate his kids, but as we get older and, and social media becomes more prominent, 
you know, it's, it's really hard. It's really tough to hide anything, you know, from your past, specifically being a celebrity. So that's what you got to. That's what you got to deal with. Flavor of the week coming up. It is now time for the flavor of the week. Real quick, all the tough enough winners. Uh, the first season, Maven Huffman and Nidia. Uh, and then we got the second, uh, the first season and second season uh, was who, Jackie Gata and Linda Miles or Shaniqua <laughs> uh, from Basham Brothers. Two two women. I, I don't understand why that happened. Kenny King was the runner-up. Well, Kenny Lane, but Kenny King was the runner-up. And uh, I definitely th- I thought Kenny King should have won that year. Uh, the third tough enough uh, was John Hennigan, as we know, Johnny Nitro, and Matt Cavatelli, who is the person I've been uh, talking to and keeping in contact with the past few months. Um, he's interested in uh, being interviewed with the show, but uh, some scheduling conflicts. So, uh, yeah, um, Matt, Matt Cavatelli is uh, uh, doing some, some great things. Pewter won uh, season four. Uh, the Miz was the runner-up. And then uh, season five, of course, was Silent Rage, Andy Levine, uh, and little Randy Orton, <laughs> Luke Robinson was the runner-up. Of course, last week we got Sarah Lee and Josh. A lot of all of those seasons, Derek, real quick, give me a good 60 seconds of which winner uh, do you remember the most and which one, which one do you think uh, really got the best out of their tough enough win? Uh, the best other tough enough win, I mean, uh, Johnny Nitro, the Miz, obviously, even though he was runner-up. But, I mean, he came from that show, so it's, you know, he went on. I remember Nydia mostly for the trailer park thing that she did with uh, James Noble. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was good. That was fun. They went together fine. That was perfect. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, first, see, I remember Maven. I just, uh, he had that kind of a sob story, came from nothing, and he was all proud of his mom. So that was a, that was a good touching moment. But really, I mean, the tough enough, I mean, what has it really, it hasn't really made its niche into WWE as the impact as I think they wanted it to. Because it seems like, you know, other than, uh, what's his name? I think Matt, the announcer, or was the announcer in WWE for a while. Yeah, Joey Matthews. Joey Matthews, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had success. I mean, he wasn't a wrestler, per se. He was more of you a know, backstage announcer type of guy. But, I mean, Tough Enough itself is the show is not too bad for a wrestling fan, but really there's hasn't really big that big of a reward for the winners. And yeah. They get some TV time, but then they kind of fall off the face of the earth. So, yep. my take on Absolutely. Well said. Um, not very much that came out of Tough Enough. Like you said, a handful of people that uh, has done something in the WWE, a lot of them in the indies. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what Josh and Sarah Lee does. I'm uh, interested to see their future and uh, what they're going to do with them. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a fantastic uh, ride with you all tonight. David Pinzer. Uh, our host, fantastic job. Thank you, David, again. Follow him at David Pinzer. And again, next week, 
interviewing a former WWE Tag Team Champion. It'll be a very, very, very interesting interview. He's, we've talked on the phone a few times. Very excited about it, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to talking to this guy. So, looking forward to uh, being with you all next week. Until then, uh, enjoy your week of wrestling. God bless. Day loves Ian and Elijah, and you enjoy your week. Bye bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.